0: All right, I want to welcome everybody to the CCLVI luncheon. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed your meal. I, uh, I think next year if we're in Chicago, we're going to get overpriced hot dogs from Wrigley Field and have them catered in. So, I'm kidding. At any rate, it was a good meal. And good job to the servers. Thank you for your getting it out on time, too. So, I understand that there are some of you in here that are taking a CEC um, uh, class. And you know, I've got to get the code. I, I deliberately left my work iPhone at home because I didn't want to be responsible for two phones. So I'm going to dial into my voicemail and get it. No. Uh, the, although, if that were the case, we would all pass the class. We all know how to use a knife and fork, I think, so. All right, I'm going to dial in and get the code, and while I do that, I am going to tell you that we are pleased to have with us today two individuals that I'm sure that you are familiar with. You know their names at least, if not their faces or voices. Uh, Clara Stanley and uh, Clark Rectal, both from the Alexandria, Virginia office. Um, Clara Stanley is the, help me with your title, Clara? The, yeah, title. Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. And Clark is the, um, is the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. They are going to talk about today the, um, uh, some, a couple of imperatives that we've been tr- trying to have passed uh, with for the past several years, and I think we may have had some success with a couple of them this year. So I'm going to turn it over to Claire, who will do her thing. I'm going to dial in and get the code, and, Claire, I and but I will hand the microphone over to Claire, get the code, and I'll cut in and give you the code for the start, so... Help me welcome Claire Stanley. Mike, do you
1: want to give that one to Clark? Oh, Did I successfully turn this on? Awesome. I'll get the code guys. Um, Shall we jump in while you're looking? Or? Go ahead. Okay, great. Um, well, we'll introduce ourselves again and we'll start start in on our topics. Clark and I are going to kind of tag team it, so. You'll hear both of our voices. Um, Again, I'm Claire Stanley. I'm the advocacy and outreach specialist um, at ACB in the national office in Alexandria. Clark's on his phone. (laughs) Do you want to introduce yourself?
2: No, I'm right here. So, Clark Rockfall, director of advocacy and governmental affairs, and I joined ACB on February 11th. Thank you. So prior to ACBOs with National Industries for the Blind for two years and Verizon Communications before that.
1: Great. Um, So I'll preface this with please ask us questions throughout, raise your hand, yell out questions however you want to do it. Um, I always hate feeling like I'm talking to a wall. It's a lot more fun if you guys engage and ask questions. So please feel free to yell out anything or yeah. And I've got the code.
0: Would you like the microphone back? Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Oh, jeez, here, thanks. Yeah. All right, start code 9, B-Bravo, A-Alpha, D-Delta, C-Charlie. Again, 9-B-A-C, I'm sorry, 9-B-A-D-C. There you go. I'll get you the end code when we're done.
1: If you guys are getting CEC units for it, I feel like we actually have to talk about what we know. <laughs>
2: that, we'll just make it up as That we won't know. take long. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right. So Claire and I are here today to talk about the um, low vision imperative for the American Council of the Blind. uh, That was selected by whom, Claire?
1: Um, How does that
2: process work?
1: So each year we pick several imperatives, usually something like three, but it can be less or more just given on the circumstances. Um, So the low vision um, bill that we're working on was selected. uh, Tony and Eric talked about it and thought it would be good, but I'm sure many of you who are frequent attendees know that it was selected because it's something we've selected for many years because it's been an ongoing issue, Um, but we don't want to stop pushing for it because we believe it's a really important topic to discuss and encourage Congress to pass. So um, if you guys have come to our leadership conferences during February and gone to the Hill, you've probably heard it for several years in a row, but we continue to talk about it because it's. A really important thing um, so we're going to continue to who knows you might hear it in 2020 and so on and so forth um, because we believe it's really really important to continue to push for
2: so, and the full title of this piece of legislation is the Medicare demonstration of coverage for low vision devices act the first time this bill was introduced uh, from the ACB and the members on in Washington was in 2013. Uh, it has been introduced three times over the past six years. Um, Congress operates in um, two term sessions. Uh, so it was introduced in the 113th, 114th, 115th Congress. And we got a bit of exciting news a couple weeks ago that it will shortly be reintroduced in the 116th Congress. So, Claire, should we talk about what exactly the bill will do?
1: Yeah, so we can talk a little bit about what the actual mission behind the bill is. Um, So I'm sure it's not a surprise to anybody in the room, but Medicare currently doesn't cover most low vision aid devices. Um, So things like CCTVs, other magnification devices, things of those nature are not covered by the insurance. Um, But those, as again, all of you know, are really, really vital for a lot of people. Um, Especially, we put an emphasis on um, those who are losing their vision later in life, so those persons who are losing their vision and are no longer um, able to live independently because of their vision loss. But if they had access to these devices, could be more independent. But because Medicare doesn't cover these devices, and we all know, unfortunately, these devices are extremely expensive. I was talking to one of the students yesterday. She was telling me a pearl magnification glass is $600 right now. So we all know these devices are extremely expensive. So the um, language behind the bill is calling for coverage of these devices for, it's five years, right? Is that the time span? Uh,
2: Exactly. So it it would create a pilot program at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, um, estimated at about $2.5 million a year for each of five years. And then CMS would study the results of this program. So how would that work? Someone could go to their doctor. The doctor would say, you know, yep, you you couldn't see line three on the chart. You thought the E was an M doing a cartwheel. Mm -hmm. So you're losing your vision. Here's a prescription for a a low vision video magnification device. Um, You can get in touch with a vendor and receive that product. And that would be covered by... Medicare and Medicaid. Um, one of the reasons that this bill focuses on those more expensive um, video magnification, low vision devices, is because those are devices that can uh, kind of age with a person. So if you have a condition that is you know, hopefully stable, but in a lot of cases, um, vision will deteriorate even further over time but if you have a device that can provide greater contrast or increased magnification, uh, built-in text recognition, that is something that will remain useful and you don't have to replace once your vision changes. Uh, Absolutely.
0: Have somebody with an ALD, so we need to use
3: Hi, um, this is Kathy Farina from Albany, New York. Um, one concern that I have as, you're, as I hear you talking is when um, a, you, you're talking about a doctor writing a prescription for a CCTV, that would assume that the doctor knew about the CCTV's existence. Um, I find that many of the ophthalmologists and optometrists, at least where I am anyway, don't always know about these things. When somebody is losing their vision, they throw up their hands in despair and say to the person, okay, go home, you're done. Mm-hmm. You know, so along with this, there needs to be education of the um, op, op, you know ophthalmologists and optometrists.
1: Well, I think that's a great point and we'll take note of that. And I think part of the problem is is the root cause there is that because insurance has never covered things like this, there was never any connection there from the get-go. So I think that's a really, really great point and hopefully um, with the success of this bill will come a more common connection between the optometrist, the ophthalmologist, and the insurance provider. So I think that's a really great point and hopefully that this kind of bill will help to um, work away at that problem. Do I have
2: a question? And, oh, Sorry, what, Sorry, I just want to add on to that. Um, for the, those who are in the general session this morning, uh, the new CEO of the VisionServe Alliance, Lee Nasahi, um, I think one of the programs that she and her organization are working to roll out, the Vision Referral Network, will be a great resource um, to build awareness and help alleviate that problem as well.
4: So this is Sarah. Uh, I have a question. Um, so there's many low vision devices, and CCTV is a pretty broad mm-hmm. term. Um, and so I'm wondering, sort of, two things. Um, I'm wondering how um, an ophthalmologist would um, determine which type of CCTV um, would be helpful. Because I mean, there's everything from a portable one to, you know, ones with cameras that read the board in class to, you know, the typical um, ones that you would see. And I'm also wondering about then the cost because, um, as you were, you know, talking about um, the student who magnifier was $600. Okay, but my CCTV is like $3,000. So um, I'm just curious about um, if there are any like guidelines, you know, sort of in this um, legislative imperative how that would be handled.
2: So th- that's a great question, and uh, the CCTV is just one in- one example. Um, then. This- Low vision devices is a, a more general term that covers a lot of different products and categories, um, such as you were just saying. It could be something that is stationary on a table, or it could be something that is wearable or mobile with the user. And yes, there there is a wide range of prices as well. Um, so again, I think for... Finding a device that is, um, would best meet the needs of the user, um, that there would need to be additional consultations between the user, their doctor, you know, and hopefully um, other specialists so that you find a product that meets the user's needs.
4: Hi, this is is Donna. Oh, sorry.
2: Sorry, one second. Claire would like to add as well.
1: Yeah, and just to echo in, you guys are bringing up really good questions of issues that are very um, quick to pop up, and that's why it's called the Demonstration Act. It's not immediately jumping into insurance coverage, although that would be great. The point of this uh, bill is to demonstrate the positive impact it can have and what the need looks like, and so that's what this is for. It's to collect the data, and so we hope, and I believe very It seems pretty obvious that the data collected will be able to demonstrate these kinds of issues you guys are bringing up and the needs that are there.
4: Right, and and this is Donna. Thank you for that. Um, I think that um, you know, just to share with you um, to kind of piggyback on what Sarah shared, um, you know, in. It, it's also kind of on us, and that's why we gather together and meet in groups like this so that we can all, you know, learn from each other. Um, you know, it, we would need to um, share with our ophthalmologists that we need to see a low vision specialist. Um, and, you know, they're, you know, they're in different places and so on and so forth. But in my specific situation, you know, my ophthalmologist, um, I had to share with him several times. I need to, you know, because he was gonna say, here are vendor, uh, you know, here are vendor, here's vendor information and, you know, go to them and see what works for you. But when I was able to get to my low vision specialist, He did a thorough evaluation on me, and he actually encouraged me to get things that I didn't even think, you know, that would work for me, because I'm like, okay, I want a pebble, I'm going to need this, and I'm going to need that. But then he actually encouraged me to get a few other different things that I hadn't thought of. So um, we need to try and get connected with low vision specialists because then they'll really do a thorough examination and evaluation. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Donna. And again, as Claire was saying, the legislation is the first part. It it would create um, and direct CMS to then structure a pilot program. And for CMS to do that, they would need to go through rulemaking processes to design that pilot program. And in that rulemaking process, there would be ample time to submit um, feedback and advocate and share user experience as well.
5: Do we, do we have time for one more um, before you guys continue with what you want to say? Okay. Uh, uh, this is Marsha Fair. I'm a certified vision rehabilitation therapist from Georgia. and. When I was up at the ACB legislative seminar, not this past year, but the year before, I am sitting here with a video magnifier and I took it to every office that I met with the folks, met with the legislators and or the staffers and actually demonstrated that to them. And also in Georgia, and I don't know how that applies to other states, but when you are uh, evaluated both in the older blind program, 55 and above, and with vocational services, you do receive a low vision exam, which includes the video magnifiers and other magnifiers. Uh, but you're absolutely right. The doctors are not getting this training. They tell us this all the time. They, they get very little training in blindness that is not part of what they're trained in at all in their medical training. Okay, back to you guys.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I think we can all see a point in the future where there'll be commercials on TV. Ask your doctor about Vispero or Humanware or OrCam. Yeah, you know, but they will if everyone keeps asking about it, exactly. So, and, uh, I'm sorry, was it Martha from Georgia? Marcia, excuse me, um, thank you for mentioning the legislative seminar. What a great segue. Um, because the. Yeah, that was yes. <laughs> uh, the low vision bill was an imperative that ACB members carried up to Capitol Hill in February as part of the legislative seminar this year. And thank you to everyone f- who filled out the feedback survey and let us know what members of Congress were interested in supporting this legislation or wanted follow-up once the bill was reintroduced. Uh, and over the past couple weeks, once we received word from the lead sponsors of this legislation, and that's Representative Maloney from right here in New York and Representative Bill Arrakis from Florida. They've championed this legislation for the past six years, and they're continuing in those roles. Um, so their staff has worked with us. They have circulated a Dear Colleague letter uh, to seek co-sponsors in the House of Representatives. Last Congress, the 115th Congress, there were nine co-sponsors uh, with two original co-sponsors. That's Maloney and Bill Arakis. This year, uh, last I heard before the Fourth of July, um, in district work period, (coughs) recess, uh, vacation, they were up to four original co-sponsors. So Adam Schiff, Democrat from California, excuse me, and Representative Steve Cohen from, believe Tennessee were also already signed on as original co-sponsors. We shared with them the representatives, and they reached out to them directly, who uh, told all of you that they were interested during the legislative seminar. And we hope that we will exceed the total of nine co-sponsors from last Congress. In addition to that, we have several names from... Florida, Michigan, um, New York, Virginia, uh, senators who were interested in supporting this legislation as well. So once the House bill is introduced and we have a bill number, then we will be sharing that on the Senate side, um, seeking some original leaders on this issue in the Senate. Um, Also a couple weeks ago, and I hope everyone saw it, but over the leadership advocacy and announce lists uh, we shared the text of the dear colleague and i know we received several messages from folks at advocacy at that they were sharing the dear colleague with their representatives asking them reaching out to them again you know touching them multiple times to say please co-sponsor this important legislation so at this point any additional questions We did not put the Dear Colleague letter on our website. Um, We would need to get permission from the offices to do that because generally those are meant for internal communications only. But if Uh,
1: anybody wants it, we'd be happy to personally email it to you. you So come and and, talk to us.
2: And we can share it with CCLVI if you would like to circulate it. Perfect. Exactly. All right. Well, this is, this is a bill that ACB has backed for a number of years, um, but we are happy to say this is not the only piece of legislation that would address low vision devices. Uh, so Representative Lloyd Doggett from Texas has introduced a bill. This is uh, House, uh, House of Representatives bill number...
3: 1393. Test one, two,
2: test. Yeah. H.R. 1393 in the 116th Congress introduced by Representative Lloyd Doggett, Democrat, Texas, 35th District. The Medicare. Dental Vision and Hearing Benefits Act of 2019. This is a bill that has been introduced the past three Congresses by the senior Democrat on the House Ways and Means Health Subcommittee. Um, So in previous Congresses, that has been a ranking member. Democrats control the House. So this Congress, this year and next year, Congressman Doggett, a Democrat, is the chairman of the subcommittee. This bill would repeal the eyeglass exclusion, allowing... Yeah. And, I, and frankly, that's, that's where the, all the problems with the not having coverage for low vision devices begins. So this would repeal the eyeglass exclusion. It would uh, phase in coverage by Medicare and Medicaid up to 80% for eye exams every year. Eyeglasses and contacts every two years and coverage up to 80% for low vision devices. There's very, very similar language for um, examinations and uh, products for dental coverage and hearing benefits as well. So we have begun outreach to Representative Doggett's staff just to get a better sense of what their intention with this legislation is. It's been introduced the previous two Congresses. Um, It has only ever had Democratic support, not a single Republican co-sponsor like our bill, um, which, which, excuse the ACB, our in the greater ACB sense, um, all of our bill, but because there's no bipartisan support, uh, it makes it very difficult to move, especially through the Senate and receive the uh, current president's signature. So this bill has, uh, I believe for the first time, also been introduced in the Senate It's been introduced by Senators Casey from Pennsylvania and Senator Cardin from Maryland. So, we will keep everyone apprised of developments with this legislation. Um, We would very much like to support this legislation, but we need to make sure that it is not simply just a messaging bill, um, not being used as just a, well, I guess a, a political tool, but more they are supporting it and they want to move it as good policy. Absolutely.
3: Um, When you say, I think you said um, eye examinations would be covered if this if this bill went through. Does that mean regular ophthalmology exams, or does that include low vision specialists?
2: Uh, thank you for the question. At At this time, I don't have a good answer for you, but that's something that we could look at and follow up with CCLVI. Do you want the microphone back?
0: Okay.
3: In in my experience. Medicaid would cover a low vision exam, but Medicare or other insurance even would not because it's not a regular ophthalmology exam. It's a specialized thing. So if you could incorporate that into the bill, that would be really helpful because there are a lot of people who may have other insurance, but they don't have Medicaid. They might have Medicare and an Advantage plan or something, and it won't cover that. I saw another hand. Can I go there first? Did
5: you no. want to take Nope. Nope. He says not. I'm coming. I'm coming. coming.
2: Okay. Great. Thank, thank you for that feedback. Uh, we'll be sure to share that uh, with Representative Doggett as well as Senators Casey and Cardin.
1: I guess the thing I would add, um, like Clark said, we're still trying to weigh, you know, understand whether this is a, a just a messaging bill or not, but please always, and same with the, um, the low vision bill that we talked about at the beginning, please always, um, we encourage everybody to contact their representatives and just, you know, send an email or make a phone call on the congressional switchboard um, supporting both of these bills just so they know that You know, these are important to people, and we do believe that they're, um, you know, necessary. So we always encourage people. And if you have any questions about how to reach out to your Congress members, Clark and I are here to assist you in any way, so, um, yeah.
0: This is Gordy Ebert. I was told by my audiologist that because the word handicapped is in by my my hearing aids, that they will not be covered. So I th- would recommend that that would be, that needs to be covered also.
2: Yes, th- thank you for that. And that is... That is something that would be covered by this Representative Doggett bill, um, hearing examinations as well as hearing aids. So, uh, and to Claire's point about reaching out to us, uh, you can always reach us at the ACB national office or by emailing advocacy at acb.org. org.
0: Bob Cronin, Greater New York Council of the Blind, I have a comment. Uh, Lawyers and uh, other professionals are required to take seminars from time to time to brush up on certain skills. It would be nice if we could work to write into the curriculum of ophthalmologists a seminar or seminars that they might be required to take from time to time on low vision aids.
5: Good
1: idea. Um, I think that's a great idea and as you know as the advocacy team at the national office we will definitely take those ideas back and um, think about them but we do always encourage you guys as well though you know your advocates as well so please look into it I'm sure there's some kind of national ophthalmological Goal, that's the word, um, you know, medical society. So look it up, get involved. If you guys start advocating and you want our assistance, we'd be happy to help. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll take these ideas back. But you guys are advocates too, so we definitely encourage you guys to take the ideas you're giving us and look into them yourselves Is something CCLVI can do. Um, Are you guys interested in hearing about the two other imperatives? General imperatives? Okay, great. Um, So like we said, there are three imperatives that we covered this year at the leadership conference at the legislative seminar. Um, The one we just spoke about um, is something we've been working on for several years and we'll continue to push for. Um, We have two new ones, though, that we're working on. I'll talk about the first one and then I'll pass it on to Clark. Um, we are working on one to promote the AV Start Act, AV standing for autonomous vehicles. Um, it, um, so basically, I'm sure many of you are aware that many major motor companies, such as General Motors, are developing autonomous vehicles. Still a ways out to see you know, what they're gonna look like and how they're going to work. But because it's such a big topic in the industry now, Uh, The legislation, both at a state level as well as at a federal level, are starting to uh, scurry around trying to decide what the laws are going to look like and um, how they're going to be regulated and so on. So the AV Start Act is a piece of a law that came out during the 115th Congress, Um, so the last Congress. There is both a bill on the House side as well as the Senate side. Um, and it didn't make it through, so we're hoping to see it um, reemerge in the 116th Congress. These bills, they do a lot of different things, so we won't talk about every last clause of the bill, but the big takeaways that are beneficial to the blind community are, the biggest one is that a lot of state laws at a state level are starting to create their own state laws that say, if you um, drive an autonomous vehicle, you still have to pass a vision test, which, of course, those of us in the blind and VI community are really frustrated about. These cars are likely not even to have steering wheels or things of that nature, so there's no ne- there seems to be no reason to pass a vision test. So this law would preempt state laws and at a federal level say that such vision tests are unnecessary, which would open the door literally to transportation for us. So that's a big part. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) So that's um a... A big part of the bill. The other parts of the bill that um, we don't have to go into all the nitty gritty because there's a lot of things like creating different committees to look in and research and those kinds of things. But kind of the umbrella overarching takeaway is that it's going to open the door to allow for more research into these AVs to see how they'll work. Uh, There's a lot of different uh, restrictions on autonomous vehicles or restrictions on vehicles period that um, automobile companies have to comply with and these pieces of legislation will uh, lessen those restrictions so that it's going to open the door to provide more um, research into how AVs work. Will they work in the communities? How will they work on the roads? Those kinds of things. So the AV Start Act will really help to um, speed up the process of Uh, looking at what AVs can do. So that's something that, again, uh, was on both the House and Senate during the 115th Congress, and we're hoping to see come down the pipeline in the 116th Congress. Um, It's something we brought up to the Hill, and we've been um, talking to a lot of legislatures about uh, putting out there, but at this time, no um, congressional members have Uh, sponsored the bill yet. We think what it's really going to take is coming from one of the major auto industries and they have a lot more weight and clout than we do unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it. Um, So General Motors is currently working on some language and we're in close communication with General Motors. We have some great allies there and we believe that with the weight of GM, once they get the language situated and get it out there, we think there's a good chance that it will be brought. Um, onto the floor. So we're just waiting anxiously, at least I'm waiting anxiously, for that language to come out and uh, someone uh, to sponsor it. So that's the status right now with the the AV Start Act. Are there any questions on that? Yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) Uh, And then Clark can talk about our other imperative.
2: And our third, the ACB third imperative uh, for this year surrounds accessible durable medical equipment with an emphasis on durable medical equipment, or DME, for the treatment and management of diabetes. So, diabetes being the leading cause of blindness for working age adults, and according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, in a survey, from 2016 to 2017, oh, let me make sure I get the numbers right here. Um, of patients with type 1 diabetes, over 23% report diabetes-related vision loss. For folks with type 2 diabetes, over 5% report diabetes-related vision loss. As a result, it's very difficult for somebody who has deteriorating vision due to diabetes to test, manage, and treat their conditions on their own. And one of our fellow ACB members, um, the executive for the Missouri Council of the Blind, Chris Gray, the legislative seminar, he shared a story that he was originally told once he was diagnosed with diabetes that he would have a seventy percent chance of measuring his blood sugar accurately. Yeah, yeah, like, we're not talking about you know seven out of ten. That would be a great batting average, right, in baseball. Um, but having a thirty percent chance, basically, of failure in accurately measuring your blood sugar that can lead to a lot of other serious medical conditions that could result in um, trips to the hospital, the ER, um, institutionalized care, a lot of things that would um, lead to less independence, poorer health, um, and just all around it, not not as good of a quality of life that one would hope to have. So, we have draft legislation uh, that was prepared by the former ACB Director of Advocacy, Tony Stevens, that was shared with members of Capitol Hill during the legislative seminar. Um, We are still looking for offices who would like to champion this legislation, who would be able to uh, avail the services of their legislative council to make it a more Uh, legislative ready bill. Uh, So we are still taking meetings on Capitol Hill. Uh, We've met with the Congressional Diabetes Caucus, both the Republican and Democratic chairs of that caucus in the House. We've also shared this bill with the health subcommittee for the Energy and Commerce Committee, and we'll continue to share this draft legislation and raise the profile of this issue. However, on this imperative, we're not only taking a, you know, a single-pronged approach. Um, because durable medical equipment is regulated by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Excuse me? Yes, under HHS, um, the Department of Health and Human Services. And because diabetes is classified and regulated as DME, We believe that HHS and Medicare and Medicaid should include provisions to provide for accessible diabetes, durable medical equipment. So what does that mean Uh, and what are we doing? So we are working with some lawyers groups in Washington, D.C., some of which who spoke at the legislative seminar from Crowell-Mooring, also the Washington Lawyers Committee We are bringing this issue to CMS. Claire and I attended a meeting at their offices in Baltimore, Maryland. And just again, trying to raise the profile of this issue, also trying to find the right people to speak with on this issue. Uh, So in addition to meeting with CMS, we are reaching out and scheduling meetings with the Food and Drug Administration. We're trying to determine whether this is an issue that can be best addressed by Leveraging the reimbursements for devices that manufacturers receive, or the approval process you know should re- should having an accessible device um, earn you greater points on the rubric or fast track the approval process? so those are things that we're looking at there. and then finally the the third prong for this legislative imperative is potentially through litigation. Um, So a lawyer who spoke at the legislative seminar that ACB has worked with for quite some time now, Matthew Handley, um, he is actually meeting with some members of the, um, was it, uh, yes, DIA, Diabetics in Action um, to discuss this issue, to discuss what forms of accessible products are already on the market So there are some glucose meters that talk and will tell you your blood sugar. But how accurate are they? How, what is the range of variance between the responses? And if a product that uses a smartphone app, like the Freestyle Libre, uh, will tell you use a smartphone and allow you using VoiceOver or Android TalkBack to know your blood sugar Will it also share with you the historic graft data that lets you know whether your blood sugar is increasing or decreasing? So you know what type of insulin that you should take. How fast is it changing? Should you take a slow acting insulin or a quick acting insulin? And also beyond just the the testing and measuring of your blood sugar, um, also what about insulin pumps? Again, Chris Gray shared a story of counting the clicks of his insulin pump um, 50 times to know that he had received 50 units. That's a lot of room for error, again. So Matt Hanley's again meeting with members of the DIA affiliate so that he can gain better insights from their stories and plan a path forward um, for potential lawsuits as well. Any questions on the Diabetes Durable Medical Equipment Imperative? All right. Well again, if there's anything anyone has questions about or other issues that you would like to share with us, you can reach out to Claire and me at advocacy at acb.org or give us a call at the ACB National Office. So thank you all for having us today.
0: All right, our batteries never made it, but hopefully they'll be here in time for the second half of the show. Again, Claire Clark, thank you so much for showing up and in sharing your words of wisdom with us. How about another hand for him? All right, you can... There you go. Uh, I understand I have to give an end code, but I'm going to make a couple of announcements before I do that. Number one, I don't know how many of you saw the email that I sent out last evening regarding a survey that is going to be taking place here in this hotel on Wednesday. Natalie Moss is a college student doing some research for Rochester Institute. I forget what the, um, t- uh, well, yeah, RIP, RIT, whatever it is. R.A.T., yeah. I, I'm, I'm wanting some input on eye movement from the low vision community. I sent out a flyer via email last night. Hopefully some of you got that. If you didn't, let me know, and I will send it again. A uh, study will be taking place from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. here in this hotel in the Hochstein room. So wherever that's at, I have no idea. It's the uh, Hochstein, I believe, H.A.E. It's in the program. H-A-U-G-H it's, yeah, anyway, it's in the email, the flyer the, it's in the Riverside Hotel walk at any time between 10 and 5 if you are interested and uh, they will they will use your um, they will uh, perform that test and you'll be compensated for it it's the, uh, I believe it's the Hogstein room it's, I'm told it's across the hall and if it's not, then ask a volunteer and they can show you where it's at. Again, walk in any between 10 and 5 on Wednesday and you will be compensated a little bit for your time and trouble. Secondly, secondly, CCLVI does have a suite. It's in the Hyatt. I will open it up tonight, tomorrow and Wednesday from the hours of 7 o'clock until the last drunk leaves or until I want to go to bed. Uh, we do have a limited supply of uh, wine and and booze, so please do show up. In room two two one six. And finally, for those that want the code to for their CEC, the ending code A is an alpha number four, B is in Bravo zero nine. Again, A four B 9 Thanks for coming. Take care.